Welcome to the new. Every experience with God's Word promises to be refreshing and transformational. Receive today's message with high expectations as it brings power, light, and a fresh anointing to your life. Today we are going to be talking about a very interesting topic and it's on masculinity. Now, I know that, you know, that's a very, very common phrase these days, particularly in an age where, you know, a lot of things are relative. And um, the fundamental thing that we have to establish is that you cannot come into an understanding of something if you are banking on relative truths. And before I go further, let me say this is not the part where ladies, women, you know, switch off and say, oh, they are talking about men today. No, it's for everybody because, I mean, for us to arrive at, you know, what God's design for masculinity is, what God's definition of what it means to be a man is, it requires everybody's contribution. So please stay tuned. There's something in it for you as well. Uh, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a video where a couple of men from different um, ethnicities, different backgrounds were being asked a question about what it means to be a man. And as you would expect, the answers were mostly political. At the end of the day, they actually could not arrive at a definite answer, particularly in this modern age, because, I mean, there is a definition you have to give when you are asked questions like that. And eventually, they ended up talking about toxic masculinity. And it's always interesting how conversations about masculinity these days eventually evolves into discussions about toxic masculinity. But um, let's not throw the baby away with the bathwater. Masculinity and toxic masculinity are not the same thing. But we still need to talk about the to- toxic um, aspects of it. So uh, when you hear the word or the phrase toxic masculinity, it speaks about um, ideas that speak of uh, downplaying men's emotional aspects and emphasizes on things that relate to uh, superiority, dominance, oppression, and other aspects like that. So it focuses on traits like aggression, dominance, and superiority. And it lays less emphasis on important aspects of what it means to be a man, like empathy, like um, being, you know, conversant and familiar with your emotions and all those aspects. I also remember, because even on that, we can go to extremes. I remember, um, I think, uh, Father's Day celebration last year, a popular corporate organization, their intelligence post was, it's okay to cry. So when we are talking about uh, masculinity and man, men being uh, conversant with their emotions, it's not just about crying all the time. So there's more to it than just that. So what does masculinity itself mean? Masculinity basically means traits that make men unique. And you have to be conversant with design to be able to explain things correctly. Remember. Uh, what I said earlier about the fact that um, you cannot use relative truth to define something that is definite. So what is design? Uh, The Bible is a very beautiful book that helps us understand precisely how we are supposed to be and what we are supposed to do. And if we intentionally study the Bible, you would see that it gives us a template on what it is to be men, what it is to be children of God. It tells us about our relationship with other men. It tells us about our relationship with our neighbors, with scriptures like uh, telling us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It tells us about our responsibilities as husbands. 
it tells us about our responsibility as fathers. It tells us about our responsibility as brothers. And it also tells us about what it means to also be self-aware. Well, one of uh, the most important scriptures on this particular one is in the book of Proverbs, where it tells us to guard our hearts with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. So if we choose to define um, our realities based on our experiences, then everybody's reality will be relative. But if we define our reality based on the truth of God's word, then we have a standard that we are held by. So now going into the things that we really need to start tackling as a society regarding the issue of masculinity and regarding men, it is a collective responsibility. Now, everybody can go about talking about how there are so many irresponsible men out there, how um, men are not taking responsibility for their actions and all. But data shows that one in four men were raised in a home where there was no father figure present. So if that goes to show anything, it lets us understand that the problem we currently have ravaging the world is not just a man problem, it's a community problem. Everything that we know were taught to us by uh, school, by media, by religious organizations. So there are actually institutions that form the orientation that becomes what a man knows and feels and starts to act like. So in dealing with the issues, we must understand that everybody has a role to play in some of the issues that uh, pertain to men in the modern age. So what are some of these issues? The first issue speaks about the absence of the father figure in a home, taking that spiritual role of leader and the visionary um, mastermind in the home. Now, uh, this is something that constantly gets downplayed in society, but we must understand that by God's design, there is a role that God has placed the husband in the home to fill. These days, we hear popular conversations around the subject of, you know, praying mothers, the power of a praying wife. But you don't really hear a lot being said about the responsibility of a man in the home spiritually. And that lets you understand something, that the devil is intentional about tackling that role. In God's description of himself in the Bible, he describes the relationship of Jesus Christ with the church as husband and wife. In his description of his relationship with us, his children, it describes that relationship as him being father and us being children. Does that not make us understand the importance of this husband and father role in the family? It isn't something that is supposed to be downplayed, but it must be taken from its spiritual origins. Being husband and father is not just about you know having a superior seat at the table having a special plate in which your food gets served, you know, dictating the terms and conditions in which things are done in the house. It's not a subject of who does the dishes and who cooks the food. It is a spiritual assignment because when the Bible instructs us on how husbands should love their wives, it talks about the role of us making sacrifices. It describes it in the pattern of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for the church. So it's a call to responsibility and service, not just being master and ruler of everything and you must be a nurturer of the gifts and talents that are around you when we look at jesus christ's relationship with the people around him he gave them wings to fly in fact jesus christ was so confident in his responsibility as husband in this in his relationship with the church that he told us 
that when he lives, the greater works than the things that he did, we will be able to do because of his enablement. So if anything, you should not be intimidated by the strengths and the graces that your wife exhibits. You should be a nurturer and you should be able to give them the capacity to even become much more than they assume or believe that they can be. You should be an enabler, not somebody who downplays other people to increase or enunciate your ego. The next thing we need to deal with is the subject of emotional suppression. Where it's made to seem like, you know, men should not be vulnerable. And in dealing with that issue, there has been an overemphasis on the fact that, okay, it's okay to cry, it's okay to cry. Emotional suppression as an issue relating to men is not just about whether men cry or do not cry. It's in our, in our inability to interpret emotions. It's because there's a popular saying that, you know, to anybody with a hammer, everything is a nail. So most times, many men are only familiar with um, anger as an emotion. So to every single thing, they respond in that manner. Or many people have been told right from when they were young, you know, the definition of what it means to be a man. And oftentimes you have to see how culture has even played a very, very significant role in these things. People don't arrive at these places when they are in their 20s and 30s. This understanding starts even from, you know, elementary school. From when children are in primary school, there's already that social construct. You can already see uh, some people taking the position of alpha male in class and it's already defining their relationship with the ladies around them, the men around them, and that desire to even prove a point to everybody. Also then, very early, they get um, introduced into sports. So young children are already indoctrinated into competition from a very, very early age. From kindergarten, you're already told about what it means to be first position, second position, third position. And then in sports, you are already being told what it means to win, come out on top, regardless of the cost. There's nothing wrong with healthy competition, but it's also in the subtle things that young men are being taught when it comes to these things and the costs that it takes to win in life. So oftentimes people are not really familiar with uh, what is going on inside them. They are not true to themselves where these things are concerned. And then on the subject of vulnerability, still speaking about emotional suppression, there are so many subconscious ways in, in which these things are done because these days we tell men to be more expressive, to be more vulnerable, open up, you can speak more. But then you find out that the enabling receptive environment for such levels of vulnerability is not what is projected. So we tell young boys, we tell young men, you know, you can speak about your feelings, you can speak about your emotion, but there aren't really as many people willing to listen, you know, with the attention and detail that is required for uh, that level of vulnerability that you're asking for from this kind of people. So as a society, as a church, as organizations, as people, we need to do better when it comes to matters like this. Because if you are asking for vulnerability, you should be willing to give the attention and focus that is required for that level of vulnerability. And then are we armed with the tools that will help people come out of their struggles, come out of the things that they are dealing with, to come out of uh, the pressure that society has already placed on them. The average young man in his 20s feels like, you know, there's already a standard that he has to live up to. And subconsciously, most men 
are more familiar about the things they don't want to become than what it is they actually want for themselves. If you ask yourself, you might find, find out that the motivation that is driving you even in achieving success in life is, you know, proving a point to your father, proving a point to your parents, proving a point to that ex that left you because you didn't have money. So you are motivated by other factors than what it is that you really know about yourself and what God's design is for you. So even in your, in quote, hustle, you are being driven by even the wrong motivations. And you must zero back down on the fact that there is a purpose and a design for which you were placed upon the earth. There is something that God has placed you here to accomplish. Another issue that we really need to give attention to is the matter of violence and physical abuse. For the most part, on the average, you find that men are found to be uh, physically stronger than most women most of the time. And naturally, you would find that many people see that as an opportunity to oppress or I mean domestic abuse is a common thing in society these days and I mean it's easy to pounce on somebody that you feel is weaker than you and that is also another way that some people feel they need to validate themselves show that they are in charge if there's any need for you to keep on justifying the fact that you are the man in the environment the man in the house then that is show of the fact that you are not able to make that known without it being obvious. The most respected leaders are those who lead by example, not by saying emphatically every single time that I'm the leader here. I mean, let's look back at our example, Jesus Christ. He enabled the people around him. He did not always have to say to his disciples that I am the leader here, but in his acts of service, portraying himself as a servant leader, people came to respect him more. So respect should come from the things that you do to the people around you. The things that, even in things that you don't do or say, it doesn't have to be something you have to keep on shouting at everybody everywhere because if you have to do that, do that then it obviously means that there's something missing. You are not doing the right thing. So if that point has to be proven emphatically, then there's so much more that you are not doing. How are you enabling people around you? How are you being conscious of what is going on inside of you? How are you allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you? And I must also stay here, state here that marriage is a construct that was defined by God. So you trying to achieve that objective outside of God is a decision in futility. There are so many people that are building homes outside of God these days. And you start to realize that, you know, People are, co are continuing to have conversations around the fact that oh, man is not um, supposed to be um, committed to just one woman for the rest of his life. And if you look at animals around you, you don't see loyalty to a singular spouse. Well, that may be true because that is people living after their own flesh. And if you follow the ways of your flesh, you would fall into such problems. But if we are ruled by the Spirit and we follow the instructions that God gives us, we'll understand that marriage is a union that God sets up and the roles of leadership and even submission are based on his own definition. It is not for you to elevate yourself above another person. It is something that God designed for us to translate spiritual order into the family. And let us get rid of that uh, myth that some people are called to ministry and some other people are not. As a man, if you are going to take up the role of husband or father, 
know that by default you have a call to ministry because even if you don't embrace any call in the fivefold or outside your home you have the primary responsibility of raising the children that god is going to bring into your household in the way of god and you are going to give account for what happens inside that household another issue that needs to be given attention when it comes to men in society is the subject of objectification of women and the media the music industry movies have not helped in solving this problem at all if anything we even have you know people in certain areas of society even normalizing this objectification and making it seem like a form of female empowerment these are all evidence of the fact that outside of god if you try to solve society's problems it just leads into chaos and we have children as early as the age of eight years old who are already exposed to pornography an industry that is worth billions and billions of dollars what we must understand is that god's idea of what it means to be a man is defined in scripture and even your ability not to objectify or see women as a tool for sexual pleasure has to come from a revelation of God's design. You must see them the way God sees them. You must see them as your sisters, who you must care for, who you must protect, and who you must serve. You must even see other men around you, not as your rivals or people that you must compete with, but as brothers who you must enable, who you must serve as well, and who you must protect. I'm reminded of an example in the Bible in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. Of the story of Abigail and her husband Nabal. Nabal is an example of a man who was not secure in himself and that story is a very very interesting story I always like to share when it comes to conversations like this. I remember how David in the scripture had based on the fact that he had helped his shepherds in the wilderness requested for some form of support just send us some food and Nabal protested because he felt insecure that how would David be asking me for support who does he think he is? And his servants in his house knew that his wife was an intelligent woman. So they went to meet her. I wonder how everybody around Nabal knew that his wife was smart and intelligent. Even in the introduction to that scripture, the Bible described Abigail, Abigail as a beautiful and intelligent woman. But Nabal did not know. Even when she eventually meant to, went to meet David to protect her husband and give him what he had requested for, David saw that she was a wise and intelligent woman. Everyone but Nabal could see the graces and the anointing and the gifting that his wife had. Which reminds me of the fact that we have to see beyond just the ordinary, we have to be enablers of the graces and the giftings around us. Even when Nibal was eventually going to die, it was the news of the fact that David had already gotten what he requested for and he had high blood pressure because he could not cope with that level of inferiority. So as a society, all of all these challenges that have been listed are things that we must tackle together we must come together to help the next generation and even help ourselves the current generation of men to become better we must change the statistics of one in four men being raised in a household with their fathers and it begins with us so what are some of the things that we can do to salvage this plague that has rotted our generation the first thing we must do is to hold ourselves accountable first of all to ourselves and then to other people around us. You need to start to identify your strengths and your weaknesses because the truth of the matter is, if you feel like you are fine, 
in uh, a book I read some time ago about uh, finishing strong. If you feel like you are guaranteed of finishing strong in this race called life, in this race of pursuing God and pleasing Him in our lives, if you feel you have it on lockdown 100%, that is the number one trait of prospective failure. It's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. So we must first of all understand that we are vulnerable. And it's not regardless of what level you are in life, whether you are president or reverend or apostle or pope, regardless of your status in life, you are vulnerable to some of these pitfalls. So first of all, you must identify your strengths and your weaknesses. You know, um, when we speak about things like self-awareness and taking personality tests, taking those tests do not give you an idea of your destination, making you make a conclusion that this is who I am and this is what I'm going to be. No, it only highlights your start position. It makes you realize where you are at and areas in which you need to improve. So when you identify your strengths, you need to start working on them in yourself. Make them better, hone them more, and also help other people harness those strengths. Use your strength to enable other people and also help people project those strengths in themselves. And then when it comes to your weaknesses, they are divided into two. There are character-based weaknesses and there are skill-based weaknesses. For skill-based weaknesses, there are two ways to deal with that. You can either outsource them or you can learn them. But for character-based weaknesses, you need to hold yourself accountable. Be accountable to people around you and identify those things and start working on them with God as your support because by yourself, you cannot do it. The next important thing is that as men, we need to be teachable. The truth of the matter is this, if you are self-defined, then you are limited to your perspective. Your growth and anything you can become is limited to just your perspective. I mean, even literally speaking, you can't see what's behind you, except you look back. And then when you do, you can't see what's in front of you. And then when you look forward, you can't see what's above you. So your perspective is very, very limiting and you must be open to learning. Open to learn from people that God has placed in your life, your spiritual leaders. Open to learn from people that are your equals, your colleagues, your friends. Open to learn from people that are even below you, so to say, people that are your protégés. There's so much you can learn from them. You must be open to learn from your spouse because you actually don't know it all. And marriage is not just about you, it's about both of you and what you are building together. You must also be willing to learn from people that are your personality contrasts and this really helps us become well-rounded men. So for example, if you are a laid-back person, you must be intentional about having relationships with people that are more adventurous and assertive. Same way, if you are the adventurous and assertive person, you need, you know, people that are calm and collected around you so that you can always, you know, uh, springboard your thoughts and ideas with other people. It can give you a very strong sense of balance. If you are a loud person, you need quiet people around you too. And if you are quiet, you need somebody to take you out of that box and also get you to be your much more confident and outspoken self. The next thing on this I would like to mention is something I call the principle of compounding improvement. This means progress in consistency over intensity. Sometimes we want to achieve so many things in limited amount of time. And this means that we underestimate how much consistency in the little things can do over a long period of time. So I haven't spoken about improving in your weaknesses and all of those things. 
How many minutes per day are you willing to commit to this improvement? The feedback you are receiving from other people, how many minutes? Remember, I didn't say hours. It doesn't have to be that much time. I didn't say how many days are you willing to, but how many minutes every day are you willing to commit to it? Because you would achieve more if you are consistent in little bits over a long period of time than if you are waiting for the perfect opportunity, the perfect time to start working on your weaknesses, your deficiencies, and all of those areas of your life. So having spoken about how we as men can work on fixing these challenges that we face, how can we as a collective, both male, female, old or young, you know, adult or child, how can we collectively uh, fix this issue for this generation and the generation that is coming after us? I believe that we all have a role to play at every phase in a person's life. And on that, I believe there are three phases that every human being goes through. The first phase regarding your mindset is your mindset formation phase. And I think that this starts from age zero to about 19. Here, everything that you believe is influenced by other people, the people around you, your parents, people you grew up with, the school you went to, the church you attended, every the society you grew up in, everybody is investing in forming your mindset. The second stage is the reforma reformation phase, which starts from about 19 to about 50, actually. And in this phase, you are focused on trying to be your own person. So it's a combination of what has been ingrained in you from 0 to 19, the formative um, phase, and what you are now uh, being educated on by yourself and other things around you at that particular phase. Then the final phase is the transition phase, which is from 50 and above, where it's all about your legacy. You are about uh, fixing wrongs that you probably were not able to fix throughout your life. Things that you have learned, you are now trying to be um, an inspiration or uh, a mentor to people that are much younger than you. And all these stages are interwoven because everybody is experiencing that particular phase in their lives and they are being influenced by the people in the other phases so that means a child in their uh, formative phase is being influenced by people in their reformation and also the transition phases of their lives as well so it's not like it's one after the other it's going on in tandem and oftentimes the people in their 50s and above i think i'll just go with the age description are trying to influence people that are within that age 90 to 50. But then the people in 90 to 50 are not willing to listen to those people because they are in a phase where they are trying to be their own persons, in quotes. And oftentimes, neglecting the people that are in the 0 to 19s because in that phase where people, and that's the phase, that is um, 19 to 50 is where most people become parents. So since they are still discovering their own selves, in this generation, they are mostly non-talented about what's happening to the children that are 0 to 19. So you see a lot of, you can be your own self, it's relative truth, anything goes and all of that. We need to be intentional about what is being instilled in everybody at this particular age. So that means from 0 to 19, for those of us who are in our parental phases of life, even though we are learning ourselves, we must be intentional about also making sure that the boys that are being raised in that generation are aware about what it really means to be a man in society. And that is subject on your own definition of what it means to be a man. 
So the question then is, is your definition based on what everybody is telling you or what you are learning from the word of God? Because that is going to be a major reflection on what children ages 0 to 19 begin to understand on their responsibilities as young boys and emerging men. So that means we can put an end to bullying. We can put an end to domestic violence. We can put an end to objectification of women. Because children at those ages are learning from the things that you are doing more than the things that you are saying. So your, your, your modeling of manliness, that's for men, or your modeling of what to be a responsible young boy or young child for every other person is not just in what you are telling them to do, it's in what they are seeing you portray as adults and as individuals. So what does it also mean for those of us who are in our reformative phase? Yes, you are embracing independence, but you must submit yourself to a higher order. You must submit yourself to the order of God and what his word says concerning us. Because freedom is not just casting off restraint and doing, going in a lawless state. It means taking the responsibility of choosing the laws with which we will abide by. So in your reformative phase, you must hold yourself accountable to God's word. You must be determining the disciplines that you will place around you and you must respect them. Because if you don't even respect the disciplines you place around yourself, nobody else will. If you don't respect your own ordinances, if you don't respect your own disciplines, then how do you expect the children that you are raising to? So you must hold yourself accountable and respect those that have gone ahead of you. Do not dismiss the counsel of elders. Do not dismiss the counsel of God's word because it has lasted the, the test of time. And whatever new age ideology you're understanding is in its name, new age. So you must respect God's word and honor it in your life and be an example for those that are ahead of you and those that are coming behind you. And my message to those who are in their transformational phase or transition phase in their 50s and above is that you need to be patient with the generation of people that are coming after you. You don't really need to be as hard on them as you are most of the time. I understand that we may not see reality the same way you do, but we need you to help us. Be patient with us, hold our hands, and be the wise counsel that we need in time of trouble. We must see that this is a collective responsibility for everybody to hold. If we are going to raise a generation of sound men that are men of integrity, that are men of respect, that are men of honor, that respect and revere and honor God, it's not in choosing sides. Is not in pitching one person against the other. It's in understanding that everybody must understand what it means to be a man under God. There's a scripture I would like to read in closing. It's from Psalm 101 and I call it the Man Creed. I'd just like to um, read it from my Bible here. Psalm 101. And I believe that every man should meditate on this scripture. Make it a part of your life. Because this is from David's journal, so I mean, it makes us understand it's okay to also journal, it's okay to write notes as men. If David did not journal, we would not have the book of Psalms. I like to say that as a joke. So, Psalm 101 from verse 1, I'm reading from the NLT Bible. It says, I will sing of your love and justice, Lord. I will praise you with songs. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. 
I will refuse to look at anything vile or vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure conceit and pride. I will search for faithful people to be my companions. Only those who are above reproach will be allowed to serve me. I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house, and liars will not stay in my presence. My daily task will be to ferret out the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our responsibility to save a generation. It is a commission that God is handing to us. My question to you, man and woman, is will you save the next generation for God? And now it's time for us to take our creed. Remember, I raise your hand and say, as sure as God helps me, I will not give up. I will not cave in. I will not quit. I will not fail. I will not fear until my job is done and victory is won. I am the new and I love this church. Thank you for being a part of Audacity with PS today. Stay tuned for another exciting episode next week. We hope you were greatly blessed by today's message because God still has so much He wants to share with you. So stay connected every week to experience uplifting and life-changing moments in His presence.